Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe. Now introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Gaines, and Ed Mann. Hello and welcome to another episode of Three Devs and a Maybe. My name's Ed Mann and today we're joined by Michael Budd. Hello. How are you doing, Mickey B? I'm good, thanks, Ed Mann. How are you? I'm very good, thank you, Michael Budd. <laughs> very formal. We, we all like <laughs> Mr. Michael Budd. That's right. Um, so how are things going in the life of Bud at the moment, man? Uh, yeah, good, actually. Um, sort of, uh, uh, well, probably said last time, but deployed uh, the big projects I was working on just after January, and uh, there was a bit of chaos in that next month where there was lots of things to uh, iron out. And um, But now sort of in a much more stable release. So it's a, it's a less stressful time, to be honest, which is good. So would you say that you've made that transition now from obviously, I mean, obviously when you deploy something, you know, it's that all guns blazing. This is the first fight, you know, first release. Yeah. Now you're more in a case of, you know, you're handling a bit more tech debt now. You can go back and look at things and, and kind of see a bigger picture of what's the future as opposed to kind of, you know, what the beginnings are. You've kind of made it a new chapter. Yeah, definitely. I think that's right. And um, there's just a lot of things that like, obviously you do testing and stuff, but there's a lot of things you just really, you don't know until uh the real event happens and i think specifically a lot of the payment stuff and i told you we but we've got like two payment gateways integrated and uh having one's hard enough <laughs> yeah absolutely and obviously i've tried to make the code so that obviously most of the code is the same uh really you're just taking the payment and then what happens after that is the same for either payment gateway so that's combined sort of shared code but the ipm bits are you know, are unique to each vendor and just making sure that the right things do happen when they come in. And I did, I did have a little bit of fun with that actually. And you kind of think, well, you tested it in sandbox mode. How could it possibly go wrong? But it did. So uh, only for one of them and it was, you know, the situation was recoverable, but you know, I'm keeping my eyes on those daily. And, uh, and there's just so many other things that now um, either we couldn't really have predicted or, just i don't know i mean for example things like we, we've got a lot more uh subscribers on board now so you know i was testing before with like one or two and then now it's like a lot and and many of those things when they scale up they you have to test them again so things like for example emails i'm now monitoring any emails that, that aren't going out and why aren't they going out you know that all that kind of stuff and so yeah, it's uh, but like you say, I have been able to take a little bit of a step back after sorting out a lot of those issues, and now it's kind of yeah, I can take you know take a bird's eye view and see where we need to go next. So, well, that's that's awesome news, man, and it's actually interesting. So you mentioned like the payment stuff and everything. Yeah, and that was actually a recent episode that Adam Watham did on Full Stack with a guy who was talking about a lot about payments, and and it is an interesting one. I think anytime you want money, people are going to get angry. Yeah. Obviously, because they aren't going to want to pay, you know, more and they don't want to be double charged and you don't want to double charge them. And you feel guilty if, you know, your system does kind of sometimes, you know, mess up wherever. And, and it is interesting kind of, you know, even like the fact of a network connection, you know, like yeah. the fact that you know you require callbacks to come back from, you know, you may be your IP, you know, from from whatever provider you're using. And and maybe they don't. It doesn't happen, you know, and, and then you get and you have to rectify it yourself manually or. And, and one of the things is, you know, to never use transactions within anything to do with 
payment stuff i found yeah. because you don't want to roll back and you know because maybe something does fail halfway through and, and what's you happened is you've already sent off to please charge this person x amount of money yeah um you know and, and you have no recollection of it in your database um so you are actually better off having a take like almost you know going against everything you kind of feel you know they normally would have just because of the fact that because you're doing side effects you need to know about those side effects and you can't revert back a hundred percent and that what i did to tackle that was sort of and i have to say both because we're using uh go cardless and stripe and both of those are really good in terms of the webhooks they provide so i'm logging you know when the payment is first requested and then when the payment actually goes through and then when the payment actually goes through to the bank so keeping a track and all that and actually I, I log all the web hooks as well they're all stored in one table and i can look through those so i know i could log into either one of those but to have them all in one place and be able to see exactly what's going on and like you say logging stuff even if the payment hasn't gone through then you've got a a, a trail to go back on and, and find out what's happened so uh, yeah completely agree and is, so is there anything else a, a new features on the horizon or is it a lot more bug fixes at the moment what what's kind of your general yeah there is the um there's a lot of more stuff to come but it's mainly more going to be integration with third-party applications so obviously a, one of the main things that a lot of our subscribers want to do is export data to their own crm of choice so um we kind of we're doing that for zoho at the moment and we're working on an app for salesforce and dynamics is coming but so many out there and uh, ideally what we would like to have done was have a um, uh, kind of you sort of export it to one application that could then filter out to all the different ones but unfortunately at the moment uh, we've not been able to find anything out there that does that we did find something called is it zapier have you heard of that no what's that so i think it's a similar kind of thing that you basically um you you export the data and then whoever's using it can basically then say well i've got these other products i've got i'm using uh, dynamics or whatever i'm using this so then it gets then filtered down to those different third parties as well so you you can export it once and it goes off to all these other different streams but with that the end user has to have like a subscription to zapier i'm probably pronouncing it completely wrong but um so something like that would really have been great but we we couldn't ask our our subscribers to pay for that as part of it really so at the moment we're kind of you know making code for each individual case but if we could find something that would fill that that would be great so if anyone knows of anything please do <laughs> please sometime. let us know yeah please yeah. help them a mickey out yeah but in terms of the functionality uh we've got advanced filtering that, that's coming out that's just been you know it's a lot of stuff just to check that's going to go right and mainly my apprehension with that one is that because of the way it works that someone could execute a query that will just die or or worst just take forever so uh, i want to make sure there's safeguards in there to stop that yeah are you like containerizing almost like the queries that you know they must you know run in a certain time and have like a timeout and things like that to ensure yeah i mean i started looking at postgres and i know one way i could do it is that you would you would set the timeout limit before you the query and then you could change it back again after the query but i'm sure there's a better way of doing that so i think even in pdo you can actually set to say look you know if you don't hear anything back from the server at this time you know pronounce it as gone 
Ah, uh, great. Okay, so that might be a way of going. I and think. it can just throw an exception or something. Because as you say, you don't... I mean, the trouble is, though, is then obviously maybe some days your queries will be that long. Um, and True. then it's like, oh, you're putting this uh, uh, you know limit on it. But it yeah. is good to have that safety limit that they're going to just start. But it's also making sure that these queries aren't just idly around the server and what they, you know, that they clean up properly if they do decide to cancel them and stuff. Yeah, that's it. But uh, one thing I would say, and I know this isn't really going to uh, shock anyone, but uh, we have noticed a huge impact on obviously with bugs coming down and the level of subscriptions going up like so um yeah i know that's not really shocking people don't like bugs what the hell no, is no, that crazy but <laughs> but it shows that they they do have a big financial impact so you know you can't be complacent on those things and it could be little things as well so uh yeah and and then the next step after that is we're hoping to like white label our application so other people can uh basically use it to to sell on to other people so yeah, so that's going to keep me busy for a long time, I think. So that's cool. How about you? What are you? Uh, yeah, no, yeah, things are going really well. Thanks, man. I mean, yeah. first things first. Um, if you're listening to this relatively recently from when it came out, or hopefully when it comes <laughs> out, uh, Twitch are streaming or, or just yeah, streaming all eighty eight hundred thirty one Power Rangers episodes. Is back that how to many back. there is? Wow, there, there is. This is all seasons up to the latest. I've just read an article on it. It is quite amazing that they're actually yeah. So, because because of the uh, the new movie that's coming out, they decided that they're going to go through the whole back catalogue, and that's just amazing. Um, so yeah, that's in the background. That's got to be done, you know. Yeah, just uh, absolutely you know, reminiscing on childhood. Yeah, love the toy, man. The, did you ever have the toys? I did. Had a few. Yeah. Yeah, like you had the gun thing that you could make into it. You know, have all the bits, and then you have like the actual toy that you could actually like break out. And oh, it's just genius. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, on more <laughs> techie terms, um, there's been a couple of interesting things that have gone on. Um, the first one actually um, is to do with how you handle SQL, um, and also kind of how you how you run your SQL. Uh, you know, if you're a terminal guy, I know that when I spoke to Adam, Adam, you know, on full stack and kind of in general, like in this podcast, you know, I've been very much a proponent of Navicat. Um, but actually, I've made the switch now. Um, initially, it was to Data Grip, uh, which is a product from JetBrains. And actually, one of the people nicely in the comments from that episode I did mentioned Data Grip. So that was the kind of first. So I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, so, you know, Data Grip. And then I've kind of just moved to PHP Storm. So actually, really, a lot of the features that are in Data Grip are in PHP Storm as well. So if you're using, you know, one of the JetBrains IDEs, I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, you'll probably get some of this functionality. Um, some of the wins out of it that I really do love now is the fact that you you know with with queries and stuff when you get into big queries and pretty gnarly ones you know you can get into like inner square you know you have like queries within queries subqueries and things like that and sometimes you want to run you know maybe a subset of that query you know maybe the you know the inline you know the, yeah. the inner subquery as opposed to the outer band and you can do things like that really easily just with keyboard shortcuts um within like php storm or with data grip and and that is just a lifesaver to me yeah. um the other ones that are really good are the fact i mean it's got like the intellisense and all those kind of you know fun things that you really want out of kind of a sequel thing um but also is the fact of the, so this was a, a really good win actually is the parameterization so if you're say you know you've got a pdo query and it's got parameterized you know kind of you parameterize say a couple of the fields uh, that you're acquiring input in it will actually if you try and execute that it will actually ask you what do you want to replace those with and substitute them with oh, uh, when you're running it which to me is just a complete win 
Um, But I know that obviously you have strong opinions on the hatred of PHP Storm. Yes. Um, And that was one thing, actually, that we need to discuss. We need to, what was it? We're going to do a a Twitter poll because my last Twitter poll went really well (laughs) like a couple of years back. I think it was you and actually it was just you. It was was just you, I think, that that voted. Uh, uh, But yeah, we're going to do a Twitter poll. Uh, It's PHP Storm versus, so what is your editor of choice then at this time? We're talking about SQL editor here. Like SQL GUI. Uh, I suppose. See, this is the funny thing. I suppose the that of being an IDE is you kind of then get everything because then I'm thinking PHP Storm is my yeah. my IDE for PHP. Then it's the fact that I can do database stuff with it, and it's it's really yeah everything I mean, and anything. Basically, my setup is Sublime Text and then PG Admin, and then if I'm using MySQL, I just use MySQL Workbench. Are you are you um, using PG Admin three or four? Four now. How how are you finding that? I really like it, to be honest. I know you hate it, but uh, I mean, some of the stuff you were just talking about, like running the uh, the inner SQL uh, sort of uh, commands you've got, that would be nice. So uh, are we saying we, you can't do that in PGM? I've never even tried. I don't think it. you can. I mean, I think that's the, it's so readily out the box, you know, it's one of the yeah. things that you can do in this. So I'm not quite sure. But I mean, I don't mind PGM. PGM in 3 was good, you know, but I was always Navicat. And then even back from when we used to work, you know, Navicat, you know, I think you get used to things, don't you? And when you just want something to work, and it's like the terminal, people just want to go to the terminal and use maybe just SQL, you know, PSQL, because mm. they're like, look, I just want to go straight to the terminal and use it that way. That's fine. Whatever works best for you. I like being able to see the query and kind of mo- you know, modify it like I would code as opposed to kind of, you know, having to copy and paste it back in and, you know, yeah. control A and up back to the beginning of the blooming command and all this type of stuff. It, it, it's really kind of... I think for a free tool, I really can't knock PG Admin 4. Um, yeah, I, it does everything I need to do. That's, yeah, I mean, the fact that it's free, but it's a very weird thing, actually, because what they've done um, is they said, you know, they, they kind of, they used to use QT in like PHP and in PG Admin 3. Yeah. And then they've decided, okay, well, we want to make this kind of multi-platform. So what they've done is they've actually made it web-based, essentially. And what it is, is it's like, you know, a web interface kind of thing, which is wrapped in an application. But the actual back end is a Flask Python application. <laughs> which is very weird. I've never seen someone do this. So it's essentially all the code backend is Python. I could be wrong. I'm, I'm pretty sure it is this. Like I've been looking at it. It's like it is a Flask application backend and then it is just like jQuery kind of, you know, GUI, JavaScript stuff. Right. Um, front end. So it will work on multiple platforms. But yeah, a very interesting way of kind of getting about, you know, to make it multi-platform. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we will do a, we will do a Twitter poll. I, I will do this. When this is released, we'll do the Twitter poll and it'll be PHP Storm versus sublime text then are you, are you a proponent of i was gonna say you actually that you know much because i know you just don't like php storm but i don't know why exactly i just found uh personally that it did not run smooth on my system i mean i might not have the highest spec but i was know. thinking 1999 hardware you know could be the problem Jake. i mean my, my amstrad <laughs> is still running strong so you know I, no i i mean i've got 16 gig of ram i you know i I don't know. It just did not work well. I found it really, really clumsy. Um, maybe it's got better since I used it. To be honest with you, I think years ago. A second chance, personally. Um, <sighs> but that's just me, and you know, I am biased to it now. Yeah, I, like for me, I one of the things I am a real proponent of is this idea that uh, that we we still in a position where people can open up Notepad and create websites. That to me is really important, and uh, so when things start to get too, I don't know, too big, 
I kind of pull away from it. I guess it's just my nature. I suppose it is that unit's philosophy of doing one job and doing it well. Like you could say, you know, that really you should use data grip and you should use PHP Storm for two separate things because they're solving two separate problems. Um, Mm. Or, you know, and then you could think like, again, breaking out a text editor and just using that for writing things as opposed to maybe executing your, you know, your tests and stuff and having those integrated. And that's with the IDEs. I think IDEs are this kind of mesh of everything because it is very weird to say, oh, yeah, no, I also handle my database connections in here. And I I can also handle my virtual servers within here and vagrant instances and SSH, you know, and and yeah, I understand like that kind of is everything and anything and you get into the world of it. But I, I love it as a as a program, as like a kind of ecosystem for development. Yeah. I really am a big proponent of it. I mean, it's no Dreamweaver. That's all I'm saying. I no, mean, well, this is it. I mean, you were back in... Man, Dreamweaver. Dreamweaver. Oh, is that still going? Back in the day. I don't know. Dreamweaver MX. Wow. Oh, dear. Back in the day. But uh, anyway, other than that, there is a couple of things I would really like to talk about uh, or just kind of uh, mention. So um, one thing, actually, that's, you know, a plague for all JavaScript development, you know, nowadays, really is the idea of polyfills and the idea of old browsers. Yeah. Um, you know, you want to use a new feature, um, you know, and the lovely thing with Webpack and like using React and stuff is obviously and Babel and things. It will, it will, you know, kind of add the polyfills in for you there. Uh, but if you just want to, you know, I just want to make simple little bits on the page, a couple of little things, maybe showing things, hiding things, whatever, you know, a bit of conditional logic, whatever like that with JavaScript. But I want to use some of these new, you know, things that require in certain cases polyfills. Yeah. Um, but there's an actual service and I can't, can't believe i haven't found this one or i didn't even think about it myself it's one of those ones where a developer's just like you you would think you're like aha this is absolutely you know absolutely clever uh is the it's called polyfill io and what it is and we've been incorporating it into our stack and and what it is essentially is it's a service that all you do is it it go you know you, it requests a certain javascript file from it it uses the user agent string of that requests browser and then based on that browser um, request user agent string it will bring down all the polyfills that it requires to be up to a certain state you know that you want to be at so if you say i want everything to be to have fetch or i want everything to at least be on the stage of like es6 or there's like presets of you know i want it to have the contains and all these kind of things it will just polyfill those for all browsers but it will not add the polyfill in and obviously transfer it down the wire to the user if it doesn't need to because, you know, in certain browsers, like once it gets up to Chrome and stuff, it's fine. And also it will cater the polyfills for particular browsers. You know, the way your, your polyfill and IE may be different to Firefox. So it's just a great tool and it works, you know, absolutely amazing. And it's one of those things where it takes a pain, you know, and a headache out of thinking, oh, how am I going to wrap and encapsulate all these polyfills and only conditionally include them if I need them? Because you don't want to be, you know, pumping down all this stuff to a browser that doesn't need it. Uh, just for it to go, oh, if the poly, you know, prototype doesn't exist, oh, uh, yeah, I do exist, so I, I ignore this whole bit. So I, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of that. Plus one, uh, you told me about it, and um, I decided to go for it, and I couldn't get hold of you, so I went to your employer's website and went through the source code and found it, and uh, it is absolutely amazing, and I completely agree with you. Can't believe it wasn't done before, or I know, I hadn't thought about it. it just, I know this is how many, you know. The condition project on a though, user agent string, you know, I mean, it's just, a, just, yeah, it's just a clever idea. It's just like that aha moment of like, you've just, yeah, nailed it because exactly that, you know, you only want to put, bring down what you need to bring down. Obviously it is going to be one more request. You know, you can kind of think of that if you really want to, you know, that maybe you bundling your JavaScript assets and then you've got this, but to take the pain out of like the whole page now, just including these bits that you want. Yeah, I think it's just, it's a well, no-brainer. I think I told you, but I I had some guy who was emailing me saying that whenever he logged in, he just got a white screen of death. And uh, as soon as I put in that, that polyfill, then it, 
in really? Yeah. Oh, it wasn't your design then. I thought the white on white you was know, <laughs> making a comeback. It never, it never was here, was it? I don't think it ever did. You know, no. Kind of was, wasn't present, but you know, but it is something. The white on white. Yeah, but that was um, an ES6 thing I had in there, and uh, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know why like the the transpile thing hadn't sorted that out. I'm not really sure, but uh, yeah, put that in. Some of them. Yeah, you have to kind of. I mean depends on what you're then targeting as well um you know like you're saying that oh it's targeting this kind of platform that should already have it or yeah yeah, yeah. I, i'm not sure exactly if some of them you do have to kind of explicitly do the polyfills for uh whereas you know some of them they will include with it um but yeah this is just a nice way of being i'd say look this whole page now anything on it i can use this as i would anything else and it should hopefully who was the author of that was it like one of the big i'm sure it was something like the guardian or something like that when i went to the website um you know what? Let's actually. It was have someone a look. big who could actually maintain the main that. Because um... it is an open source project now, which is a great thing. Yeah. Um, it's hosted by Fastly and the Financial Times. Financial Times, that's it. Oh, yeah. The, it's, uh, yeah, the contribute is led by the team at Financial Times. So, yes, you can definitely, um, you know, kind of go by the fact that it's going to be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's just a great idea. And it's just one of those things where you're just like, aha moment. And it's just like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, um, there was another thing that I've been doing, um, and this is kind of completely off the radar. Um, so it's we the thirty three ten is making a comeback. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, you can finally get a thirty three ten again. You know, 60 and pound. one of the things I used to, sixty pound apparently for the sixty pound. I know it's that it's that price where you're just like, oh, you could grab one, can't you? Just yeah. just for the fact, just for kind fun. of reminiscing. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you remember you used to like take off all the cases have different cases on go down this dodgy market and get like this horrible plastic case that would fade immediately oh yeah those were the times um and and obviously one of the nice things was well you got snake but also you had the ability to make your own ringtones and i can't i'm worried to think of the amount of hours i spent typing in key codes (laughs) to try and like make mission impossible or the simpsons or whatever uh so yeah but i decided well hang on a minute you know can we make this like could i could i kind of just you know maybe actually you know develop like a small little web application that just generates these tones for us you know and, and fortunately uh there was a, a really interesting project someone had already done and he'd already done it in f sharp and he had gone to the extent of like i think he, he'd done it for an actual pluralsight course but he'd like gone through and he's using like a parser combinator like he's parsing the the actual structure of it in such a cool way using parsers and then he's making and actually encoding the sounds like from you know from actual like the notes the octaves and all this kind of stuff and if it's sharp or whatever into actual frequencies that are then generated and created into a sine wave into the wav format and then you can actually then down essentially you can play them in wav format and it will generate it for you i thought that just blew my mind i uh, started looking at the source code and then it really made me started looking at how like audio is is actually encoded in digital form and it's just super interesting, like learning about sampling and quantization and all this kind of stuff. And I've got a couple of links I'll put in the show notes uh, for some videos and stuff I've been listening to. And, well, sorry, watching and then some things I've been reading about. Um, but the, the first step that I've done and I've got it so it's working. So I'm not going to go down the past combinator route. I think I'm just going to do simple regex stuff. Um, and what I've done is I've broken it out. So I've got a simple regex and it's all going to be done in JavaScript. So simple regex and a JS bin. Sorry. And like I'm going to do it in there. And then what I've done is I'm currently using a library called Banjo 
Node.js that actually just simplifies generating because you can use the web API uh, to do quite a similar thing and like make the frequencies. Um, so it's encapsulating that logic for me now, that hard part. So, you know, I'm able to just pretty much transfer it from the code format that Nokia used into what we need for this. But then what I'm hoping to do, the next step is actually replace that band JS with my own, like, you know, working out the frequencies and then actually generating the tones using an oscillator and stuff in the web browser. And then eventually go to WAV form. Um, but it's it's really interesting. And it's one of those things where, you you know, you can just spend so long just kind of like going down the, it's the whole yak shaving thing where you just start learning about one thing and you're like, oh no, now I need to know what the hell quantization is and all this kind of sampling. And, and then it makes you go, aha, moments of like realizing, you know, why like, against certain formats or not so against like you know oh, it's that sampling rate is the reason why or you know with the bit rate it's at and things like that and why they proponents of like you know certain bit rates and things and yeah it's, it's super interesting so yeah, i can see how you had time to do this before you had a girlfriend but now you've got a girlfriend how do you find the time to do this uh yeah that's the good point actually isn't it um oh. i don't know like it's funny because it's only like probably about half hour or so a night okay. just kind of like you know but, and it's just like and it is just like when i've got half hour i'm like oh yeah i'll just have a little look and you know have a little see it's uh, awesome and, i can't wait to see what you've done but it'll be fun and, and and the thing is it's it's a lot bigger project than i thought it would be yeah uh, but i think breaking it out into you know dealing with what you know band js dealing with something that would simplify that for me first then i'll go into doing the web stuff then i'll go into the web stuff but fortunately i mean to be honest the hard work of the 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 end result is actually all in this f sharp project this guy's done and i'll put that in the show notes as well and it's just super interesting and it's also really interesting like learning about more about f sharp and things and kind of how that how you would deconstruct the problem in f sharp yeah yeah that sounds awesome but yeah, that, other than that, that is me. I mean, uh, I've, I know you've got maybe a couple of uh, bits and bobs that you may want uh, to, well, to I discuss. Well, I mean, really, any of the stuff is... So I've been reading the same book that you've read, I believe, um, which is the ES6 and Beyond book, which is part of a series of books. Yes, very good book. Very good. Yeah, really enjoying that. Uh, I'm only about 60 pages in, but I, I, there's just a lot more to ES6 and maybe what I knew about. Uh, I want to say a lot more. I mean, a hell of a lot more, really. And uh, it is—it's really, really enjoying it. This—I think I said to you, but you can't read it quickly. Like you've got to take in the examples and and go for it. I think it's the kind of book I'm going to have to read twice, to be honest with you, to uh, really soak a lot of stuff in. But I think uh, one of the things that the author talks about is the idea of kind of all the the flair of ESX and the stuff you get versus like the readability of the code. And, you know, he kind of says, well, look, you know, use this, but use it wisely because what's the point in thinking, oh, yeah, great, I've used all this stuff. And then the next guy comes and works on your code and he just hasn't got a clue what you're doing. So I, I can definitely see a lot of pitfalls there. Um, I'm not saying that's a reason not to use it, but, you know, it's just I definitely think it's something to be uh, aware of, I guess. But I'm liking a lot of stuff that um, I'm seeing there and... Uh, uh, I like the the arrow function. That's really nice. The the arrow operator and stuff. Um, so yeah, that's a really good read. I recommend that to anyone. And yeah, the other thing I, I've had uh, is probably not the most exciting topic, but one of the issues, one of the gotchas I had the other day was with um, I think I mentioned it earlier, but sort of our our emails that go out because obviously we've got a lot of subscribers and we have a lot of daily reports that go out, and we also allow our users to create automated reports which they can be sent out hourly, daily, weekly, whatever they want to do. So we got a lot of emails going out and we suddenly realized 
looking through our logs that some of our emails were not getting through to our users. That's scary. That's not what you was it from your end as well, or was it just throughout we're kind of the using, process? Yeah, it's we're using um, Mailgun, so it was on the tier that we were using. We were using the free tier, and it was on like a shared IP, and it'd been working fine for weeks. But I guess the issue with that is you don't know who you're sharing that IP with, yeah. and they only just have to send out one broadcast with bad material that suddenly then has an impact on the IP. And whilst Mailgun say that they do uh, review them or and check everything's working fine, obviously there's got to be a bit of a uh, you know a bit of a lag there before they can work out who it is, what's and going it's, on. And I suppose because you're on the free tier as well, they're probably not, not gonna as worried. They're probably, they're probably their answer would be go to a you know a paid tier where this wouldn't be the case with a you know yeah. so fixed we, IP. We've now paid for a, a dedicated IP with a neutral reputation, so. Um, yeah, that, so our first emails kind of went out this morning. What's, what's a neutral? Like, uh, so it's, get I mean, it's, it's really got no reputation because it's not been used before. It is brand new. So uh, as a result, obviously, you could still go through to junk because you've got no reputation. We're really not sure at this moment in time. We weren't really able to get a definitive answer from Mailgun. But we did find a lot of our emails this morning had been rejected. Well, no, they hadn't, they hadn't been rejected. They'd gone through to the users, but... Certainly, the ones that I was getting, and uh, another guy at the company that I'm working for, they were they were getting emails, and they were saying, you know, this could be a spoof content, etc. So it's a real minefield, to be honest with you. Down um, the rabbit hole, that man. Yeah, and I'm. I mean, I was hoping Melgum would take care of all that for us, to be honest with you. So this isn't me slagging off Melgum, by the way, because I have to say that their um, support's been really good. So. But <laughs> no, no. I've, I've, I mean, I've raised a ticket with them to find out if it's something that you know we've done wrong. But it, it is a minefield, and again, you know, talking about how the, the impact of bugs has on our kind of conversions. It's the same with the emails because emails are really important, and if people are getting useful information day by day, it encourages them to log in and get the best out of the application. So it is really important, and um, yeah, I guess I'll have more to say on it next episode. But it's definitely something to be uh, aware of. And uh, and the other thing I was going to say is at the beginning of the episode we were talking about how now I've got a bit more time to like stand back and have a look at things. But uh, also, so I spoke about technical debt as well. Mm. But I think part and parcel with that, what well, something that I'm finding now is because I'm using lots of other third party applications like uh, Pusher, um, Datadog, uh, Mailgun, as mentioned, all those kind of things. You then do have this responsibility to to check that you're not going over your quotas. And, okay, some of them will allow you to go into the next tier and then you'll get reminders and stuff, but some of them aren't. Some of them are more strict and they'll just cut you off when you get to that threshold. So it is another level of, I don't want to say technical debt, but it is another thing to keep an eye on. It's really difficult. And because they're all separate applications, you have to log into those separate applications to find out what's going on. They're not all in one place. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, how many many do you use on a day-to-day basis? I don't know. Are you allowed to talk about that? or uh, Kind of like external Mm. third-party applications. Yeah. Or like services, I suppose. I mean, yeah. So we uh, we use SendGrid is our base email sender. Yeah. Um, and we use them a lot, and then we use Pusher um, for pushing like for channel things, and yeah. obviously like SNS for push notifications for the iOS app. Um, and then third party, other third party stuff really is kind of like monitoring tools and things is like Datadog and Logly. 
Yeah. And 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 but then because we're using them every day and pager duty as well. It's you know it's it's things that you keep an eye on. Yeah. Um, and you just have to, yeah, as you say, keep an eye on to make sure your quotas aren't made. You know, I mean, we find like in Logly making sure that you know typically you know there's like a gradual you know kind of like the because the, it only stores 14 days worth in Logly and the data we typically have you know will meet a certain tier. But I think they will give us a, a nudge, like say, okay, well you've reached your max today. We're not going to be able to throw, you know. But then tomorrow, yeah. you know, you can obviously buy more. But it is that thing of kind of, you know, when a change happens, or if you are going to consider logging more data or monitoring more things, you have to really consider then, okay, is the package we're on yeah. right? You know, and do we need to make any changes there before we get into, as you say, a problem where you're like, crap, right? Okay, I'm lost everything. I've gone from logging, you know, at least something to I wanted to log a lot more, but now I can't log anything. So. Yeah. yeah i think it's you know it's not too bad if you work in a team but if you're just a one-man band it is um it's, hard it's to that dipping up it must be yeah it's trying to divvy it up isn't it and you know kind of changing context as well between you know managing devopy kind of server side stuff to you know server setup stuff to monitoring to okay how my email is coming out to learning okay well why does email ip addresses matter so much and realizing what a neutral ip address is and and you know kind of as you say you want to try and delegate as much of that off but when a problem happens that's when you have to then think oh crap actually i own you know to, to the user to your user you are the whole sum of its parts aren't you you are but you know what an email is like when they say oh, i didn't get that email it's your fault in their eyes as opposed to you can't be like well no it's not my fault it's mailgun's fault uh yeah. it, it's that kind of you know you have to take responsibility i suppose and then it's that yeah it's a, it's a hard one isn't it and what about With, the, the graceful degradation side of things say say pusher went down okay unlikely but say it did how would that affect your application do you feel confident that I mean, are you just using it for extra kind of niceties or is it sort of pivotal to the way that this is? What's that like? Uh, you mean pusher, sorry? Yeah, sorry, yeah. Uh, so pusher is just a nicety. Um, it's the, you know, we, we we don't use it for any critical things. It's really kind of the only thing it does, it, it, it aids us with and helps us is that when, say, like a lead comes in for a person, new lead comes in for a person or a new message, we fire off that off, that off and then they will see like a little notification if they're actually in that, in the Apple actual leads application at that time. Um, you know, with push notifications, the thing as well, they're all kind of, they are, you know, just niceties, but, you know, obviously people do rely on them a lot, you know, because, you know, there's a case, you know, where you could think like, okay, I'll get a push notification, uh, especially in this is SNS type stuff, you know, and, and, but if it doesn't come in, you know, come through until like an hour later, people could be shortlisted for that. And it already, that lead's already taken. Yeah. So sometimes time is a big, you know, kind of thing, but with the pusher stuff, pusher in particular, it's very much, that is just a, you know, added layer, added thing. I mean, the emails, emails are interesting because emails, we do get all the reports back from SendGrid to see if it was bounced to see, you know, yeah. if it was delivered when it was opened and stuff, because they record a lot of information and that helps us work out certain things. And, you know, based on these certain things, like, you know, say if someone signed up, but then their emails are bounced, we then will get in contact with them because we're like, well, hang on, you gave us a Duff email address or what's wrong with this email address and things like that. And it goes through a lot of our notifiers and things to make sure that, you know, what's coming in. Yeah. So yeah. It's, 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 yeah. I mean, the thing is, you, we're, it's funny with third party services because you're going to have, when you get to a site, you're going to have to use them for, yeah. for nothing, you know, for anything. I mean, really, it depends, you know, what you define a third party as is a bit of code that you don't know about yeah. that isn't yours. So even yeah. at a dependency level, you're re- relying on code that you don't know about and it's a third party. Uh, you know, the fact that you're using PHP is a third party. Yeah, the yeah. fact that PHP is using C is a third party. And the fact that you're using hardware that's got any abstraction layer is a third party. So, mm. yeah, and it, yeah, it, it's an interesting one. It's picking them, but then it's also, and I think that's the beauty of obviously a good design is it's able to switch 
um you know but then obviously people over engineer on that to be like i want to be able to change my abstract you know my database layer at any time and it's like do you really though is that really something you're going to do yeah. you know it's like that whole thing of like you know these rms and it's the fact that you're abstracting on top of it to be like i can change it wherever and whenever i want you know i don't want to use oracle anymore i want to use you know my yeah. ms sql or whatever and it's like but do you though why not take advantage of that platform and just you know kind of you have to you have to jump in the yeah. deep end with certain products and certain things and being like okay this is what i'm using and I'll, you know, move if I have to at certain points, but you can't be wishy-washy. No, I guess the thing you've got to be careful of if you're using loads of these services, like you say, a lot of them is uh, just part and parcel of what we do. But I guess if you're not careful, you could end up with some huge Jenga tower and suddenly you pull away one of them oh, and yes. everything and collapses. It's the, it's the bus factor, isn't it? You know, what yes. if someone comes in, where is what is your code your code is all the code that you have in your servers okay yeah. but then you realize okay well this is actually talking to a lot of other services that then have configuration in themselves have set up in themselves is that other code that you've now made you know it's it, it, yeah it, it can go very much like a spider web of things that you need yeah. to kind of bear in mind and but then then this is trouble is it's the trade-offs isn't it because okay you say i don't use ever any third party software yeah, yeah. at a level then you're like all right i want to build everything like i want to do my own email system then it's like do you really want that problem you know yeah, like no, completely. why don't you just rely on them dealing with it and and i think because obviously now these have become kind of de facto things that should happen like you should just be able to send emails um and and to be honest you can on your own box you can send emails on your own box the trouble is is when you get like you're having now a sufficient size and you start sending out bulk emails on your box and you realize they're not sending anymore. And then you realize all of the ISPs and all the email providers have blocked you because they think you're spam. That's when you have a problem and you think, oh, crap, this is why you, you know, pay someone else to deal with the problem. And you use another abstraction that you don't have to deal with that problem. Yeah. So one final thing, and not at all because I'm going to be doing this this afternoon. And I want your opinion. But <laughs> <laughs> so I think we spoke about it before. Um, but and I think you've read... Have you read? Is it Phil Sturgeon's book, "The APIs You Won't Hate"? Is that? Oh yes. So I need to read yes, that. Definitely. I do. I definitely need to read that. I I think you definitely do, and definitely. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, we've had him on you know, recently, and it was such a great episode. Yeah, but one of the things I was going to speak about was this whole idea of um, you know what what you're returning to the to user, your resource, or whatever, and those fields. You know how important is it to to not reveal the your I, schema. It, it, you know what right okay so it doesn't really matter in my head like but you shouldn't be like it's, it's not the fact that you know i want to say change created at to you know cr- published at or something like you know to, to masquerade it just for sheer masquerading like you, what you want to do with a resource though is you you may want it's a sum of parts of parts of multiple bits yeah. of data yeah like, you should be thinking of a resource not as a actual entry in a database table as opposed yes. to its own thing that is an abstraction on top of multiple things so that you should stored. always have like a bridge like an, an adapter that is yeah I, I, you could base schema yeah. or whatever yeah you could never you know because even with things like graphql and stuff like the idea is is that you know, well, sorry, like the, the whole thing, sorry, with like the rest thing is that you are changing from state to state to state. And yeah. the idea is that, you know, it's it's providing actions and, and things that can actually, you know, aid going through these states and stuff and displaying things that are relevant within that. That isn't the same as what is stored in your database. Your stored database is still in a normalized fashion, you know, in a certain way. And the same with things like GraphQL. Like obviously, you know, GraphQL is that whole thing of like, I can create my own um you know like i can ask for the information in a certain format 
But, you know, there's abstraction. It's not what the actual representation is in the data store. You know, CraftQL still comes along and then says, okay, then right, you want this in this format. This is how I get it and stuff. So I know that there have been in the past where people have developed kind of like, almost like it is just an abstraction on top of a, a relational database system where it's like, oh yeah, and you can just do select queries using yeah. you know, like a get request. And they actually, you know, format in a certain way that allows you to do this. And yeah, no, I've seen that. That, that is the way on the Stack Overflow a few times. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, I mean, the thing is, you can do optional fields, and you can do like you can pass in stuff to say, look, I require these fields to be in here, and it will generate them. But it doesn't matter that it's that field is to do with that, you know, specific column in a database. It's not that that you're thinking of. You're thinking, you know, more of, of the fact of the actual domain logic, and as opposed to the persistence of it. But are you not introducing some sort of latency in the fact that you're making this call to your database to get the data and then you're then putting well, it yeah, into... Well, yeah, but it depends on what you're trying to do, though. So, you know, what are you trying to, you know, is is the database perfectly mapped to what you're, you know, like kind of is your persistence layer perfectly in line with what you want as, as domain logic as what you want the business no, intelligence I, to be? I think, like you say, I mean, this data is going to come from multiple tables and combine into one resource... Um, and and that's when it will be useful and, and that's what a date you know the, the user wants to see as opposed to them having to pull in and know way too much about all these different bits to then pull it in themselves yeah but i mean i've done that before i've seen like abstractions and i even i'm sure i think i actually created one like uh you know where it's just that you know the idea of like yeah look at this i can generate sql queries like you know through this and then this must be in an api that's awesome and then you realize no yeah. because it doesn't provide you with the multiple flexibility because it, it really actually hinders you because although you can think like up front you know like within you know the query within the request i'm like saying i want this to be this you're then actually saying tying the fact that those queries that now you require now your database to look like that or you're gonna have to have translation logic yeah and really you know the way you think of persistence to what you think of actual logic it's like the idea of repository you know ddd when you're thinking of how you store it doesn't matter it's what you're representing and what's domain logic and then the repository's problem is to deal with persistence and how you convert it into even a relational database is it a flat file whatever you're doing it doesn't really matter how it stores it uh it's just a storage mechanism and and that is just a storage mechanism I'm not going to lie to you. I think API is an absolute minefield and a headache. And I know that when I re- uh, release this API to like hundreds of subscribers, you're not going to please everyone, right? And there's going to be people who are going to have their yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely, man. Because they're all going to be asking. And, and the thing is, is at least give something, and then you know you have to work on it. And obviously the versioning. But I would definitely recommend Phil Sturgeon's book. I mean, yeah. definitely, no, I, I it's it. a great read, and it it's really kind of like you know the nuts and bolts of everything can. It, it was great having him on the show again a couple of episodes back, you know, to kind of discuss all these API things and kind of misnomers and stuff like that. Actually, one last thing I, I would mention, actually. So uh, post a job form. We have a post job form on our website. Um, and one thing I was doing was form validation, uh, inline form validation. So we all do the whole client server side validation stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was an interesting way of kind of dealing with it. So kind of like, you know, you, you play around with the whole delegation and you have like these callback chains from hell and, and you... but. It was actually the way I built it. I was quite, I was quite happy with the solution actually, and I would be cool to discuss. So what I did was I had this idea of a validator, and then you passed in like you know a kind of it would be like the ID. So when say like a field, you you linked it to an ID of whatever like that field input was, so it could grab the input uh, from it, and then it would be okay. This is a function that you it, that what you do is you pass in the value that it is, and you pass in a callable which is success or a callable that's error. Uh, on success, you don't have to pass anything; you just invoke it. Or on error, you pass and what the error is and it's very similar to like the promise-based approach 
Um, and it's that continuous passing style, essentially delegating, you know, like I call this, but really it's deciding when to next, you know, call the next thing to do. And it worked really well. And it's great for things like, you know, rec- fetching, you know, maybe I want to, we, we wanted to fetch the, like the postcode, um, you know, from our database to validate that and things like that. So being able to do that delegation through this, and it also meant that you could extract out and not worry, like, you know, the way that I validate the, the actual definition of the validation, you know, like definition of what I need to validate and and how to do it can be a broken away from actually how to create the validator and it's not you know restricted to that because it is just a fact of you know you're passing in a function that requires this and stuff like that so the validator way of validating could change but you could still use the same rule set uh, but i was really really happy with it and and it's fun like kind of playing with javascript in that way and and playing with the cps you know way of doing things because continuous passing style is it, it can be very funky uh, but it is very interesting and kind of a really powerful tool at certain points yeah I think that's a good place to wrap it up, isn't it? So yeah, um, all right, man. Well, it's been a great episode talking to you again, man. A good catch up, and uh, yeah, let's yeah. let's carry on coding. That's it. That's <laughs> the new Saturday. It's been a great episode. Yeah, carry on coding. I like it. All, all right, right. Then. Bye, bye, audience. Cheers. Bye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at three devs and a maybe dot com. Or follow us on Twitter at the number three, Devs and a Maybe.